All right, Matthew, how are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? Not too bad. You're, you're my. Uh, you're the first Canadian to be on the show, so congratulations. Oh well, thank you. I'm happy to have helped you guys cross the border in that sense. You, we, can, we, you can now call yourself binational in terms of uh, <laughs> of bests. I was going to say we don't we don't joke about crossing the border too much down here anymore in the uh, lower forty eight. <laughs> right, right. Um, so how how are things in in Canada? In in the world of Canada, well, we had uh, we had our own election uh, this past fall. Uh, Justin Trudeau, the Liberal, uh, the current Prime Minister, uh, lampooned a few years back on John Oliver's TV show, uh, did win re-election. Uh, it's expected he'll maintain kind of a. Uh, I guess what's what might be different from the states is that maybe the middle class hasn't been beleaguered quite as much as in the states. So the sort of Clinton-esque, very business-friendly, but also sort of pro-social efforts to do environmental activities uh, has continued to hold the day, whereas the Social Democrats continue to be in third-ish place on the uh, on the national rungs, which would be, I guess, the Bernie Sanders equivalent. Yeah, I was going to um, say, so that's kind of the Bernie side of things, right? That's right. So Bernie would be called the Social Democrat, which uh, the Canadian, I guess, the, the, the father of Canadian... Uh, uh, single-payer universal health care was Tommy Douglas, who came out of the social, social gospel um, background, interestingly right. enough. Yeah. And he was a, the equivalent of a governor. He was a premier of Saskatchewan, a, a desperately poor socialist-minded province. Uh, after something like 11 years of consecutive balanced budgets, they were able to drag up enough uh, capital to uh, institute single-payer health care. And within about five years, the, uh, the Canadian government followed suit just because it was an idea that uh, you know once once demonstrated was irrepressible. So, so, yeah, so Saskatchewan you have <laughs> so, uh, like Saskatchewan is, is sort of like your Vermont. Is that ah? Uh, it's hard to say. So politically, um, so we are similar somewhat to the states in that there is a coastal uh, city-based uh, population that tends to vote liberal. This is like your traditional Democrats, sort of uh, friendly to business middle class, socially uh, pro-social or socially progressive. Uh, In the middle of the country, this is the prairies, we do tend to have federally at least more of a a right-wing, a conservative uh, um, representation on the federal landscape. And on the uh, East Coast, the Maritimes, we call them, those tend to also be, uh, tend to be more liberal, sort of uh, um, them plus the city people are kind of what the liberals tend to uh, rely on uh, electorally to uh, you know to rule Canada. So it's kind of like your Vancouver and Prince Edward Island and Newfoundland. Great. That's right. So so it is interesting that uh, federally Saskatchewan, which is one of the prairie provinces, Alberta is our number one oil producing province, kind of Texas North. Saskatchewan is just you know one over. It's just to the uh, east there, and Saskatchewan is our number two oil producing province. But um, while federally it has been consistently conservative. Historically, it has been consistently social democrat, which kind of gives you uh, an idea, or at least in, in the Canadian perspective, gives us gives us an idea that for a long time there was this there was this um, difference really between the traditional what you guys would have as democrat, like the uh, the, the economically comfortable liberals versus <laughs> right. the more social democrat, hard scrabble type folks, which um, I guess. Um, the Democratic Party is discovering at the moment. 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of a transformative moment for Democrats because mm-hmm. we're, we're going, well, not we're, but the Democratic Party is going through this weird kind of, uh, are, are we going to go the, or, or are they going to go the Mayor Pete sort of uh, Joe Biden kind of centrist model that the Democrats have traditionally been since, you know, Bill Clinton era? I mean, even Jimmy Carter, even though he was a, you know, Southern Baptist from, you know, my neck of the woods. Peanut uh, farmer, if I recall. Peanut farmer, right. And he had to give up his peanut farm because of the emoluments clause, which we don't care for anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, but definitely over the last 30 years, the Democrats have, have been seen as kind of like a, you know, sort of centrist, but tendency to go left, you know, and then, of course, people like to paint Barack Obama as a leftist, which really was not the case at all. Mm-hmm. So we've got, yeah, Bernie and, and Elizabeth Warren on, on kind of that, that left leaning democratic socialist side. And uh, it's fascinating to see the Twitter, Twitter wars between the two, the two camps. And uh, it it makes me think like there, there's no doubt that Donald Trump's going to win in 2020 if he doesn't get impeached or convicted of impeachment. Um. Wow. Okay. So, so I have have a funny story about that. And I realize we're drifting a long way from the thinking religion, you know, core competence. Have you ever listened to the show? You you, you know, so I've been, I've listened to every single episode since. That's so uh, crazy. Since uh, what is it, March or so? So, so I first heard about thinking religion when I was looking for some uh, religion podcasts. I, I'm an atheist myself, but I'm uh, quite religiously literate. I've I've probably read dozens of scriptures uh, from various faiths. I've got maybe fifty odd books on religion, more than half of them on Christianity, because I've got some super devout Christian Mennonite Christian relatives. I could never understand them, and uh, this one glorious day, I think it was about year two thousand. I was walking through the local bookstore back when they had bookstores, and uh, a book from John Shelby Spong came out. It was called. Uh, <laughs> it was definitely called uh, "Resting the Bible from Fundamentalism." <laughs> yes, and, I know. And well, until yeah. that date, until that date, I had never, um, you know, in my very limited, um, you know, church type, uh, religious encounter type experience, I'd never experienced liberal Christianity. I was like, wow, there's this enormous, you know, intellectually stimulating world. Of, uh, of scholarship and thinking, which, which is very different from the sort of noisy televangelist side, which tends to get more attention, even though it's not necessarily representative of the whole, just as, right. you know, the, 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 the people who have, who shout the most on Twitter aren't necessarily representative of, of the average person. And I've done some call-in shows on Canadian radio about electric cars. It's one of my little niches. And again, you know, the people who call in aren't necessarily the people who are representative of the audience, but they happen to be the most fierce in their beliefs, you know, however factually correct or incorrect those might be. <laughs> right. That, that vocal minority uh, that, that kind of makes up or takes up all the oxygen That's in right. the room. It's, it's the, it's the Dunning-Kruger crowd as it were. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I know more than you. We, uh-huh. we, we have uh, these kinds of talks on theology, Twitter, as, as I call it, even though it's yes. not just theology, but yeah, I mean, you know, professors will go on Facebook and, and make certain posts and certain groups just to see like, okay, who, who's going to come after me this time? Or, you know, what, wow. what uh, person is going to be, a, a, you know, oh, the, the earth is flat and therefore blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, yeah. So, so no, I, but, you know, this show's never been about just. That's true. You guys usually have a long sort of intro, get to the meat of the affair, then kind of a little dessert uh, aperitif after. And here we are. Also. Yes, and, exactly. And, and thus, this is the continuation. Yeah, so just to, to give a bit more of my own origin story, as it were. Yeah, please. So I'd found, I'd, uh, I'd seen uh, the little write-ups for some of the, uh, the Thinking Religion Bible Bracket Challenge. I was like, wow, this is, this is interesting. Because, um, 
you know, I do in, I, I'm a very casual sports observer, but there's nothing more fun than watching a couple of guys around the NFL you know, commentators table say, no, this is why this team wins. No, no, you're <laughs> all wrong. This is why this team wins. And I thought it was just this brilliant, uh, it was a brilliant way to, you know, familiarize myself with, uh, with a lot of these texts, which I've read at various points. I'm a lot more familiar with the New Testament than with uh, the much more considerable uh, Hebrew Bible uh, corpus. Sure. But, um, but uh, yeah, so, and I've been a, a devoted follower, even a Patreon since. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so that's how I guess we wound up uh, connecting. And uh, yeah, I do hope to be able to help you guys uh, bookify that, um, that uh, challenge because I think it would be a, I think it's a unique uh, opportunity to bring a casual, non judgmental, uh, discussion of religion in a in a in a, a mode like in a in a style that uh, that does connect. Uh, I mean, it connected with me, and I'm an atheist. Yeah, so, well, and that's that's so kind of the crazy thing about the whole that whole uh, segment of the show. Like we, no one likes to hear this kind of stuff in a podcast, but we just kind of came up with it about five minutes before we started recording one day, and Thomas and I, and uh, he was like, "Oh, I, I can get you know David Allen, uh, David Allen Ray to, to come on and and uh, do some stuff because he." He knows all the sports stuff because Thomas is not a sports guy at all. He, he's that, the, that did show. <laughs> right. Like, like he, he's, he's even less of a sports guy than I am. I, I like NASCAR right. and I like most right. sports. That's but, right. uh, yeah, maybe some baseball. I'm a big Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. Well. From before they won it, like, right long. But, uh, yeah, Thomas has no conception of sports. So when uh, we're, we're trying to do this, David Allen was instrumental in helping us get it set up. So he was on for a few shows. But, yeah, uh, yeah, and he was great because he kind of kept the sports thing going and he made all these analogies. And we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, like like Duke basketball, sure, you know, and trying to play it along. But, uh, yeah, we, we came up with it, you know, kind of uh, off the cuff. And, and it was amazing because the uh, the feedback we got from those shows, I mean, you know, your stuff has been fantastic. We've got some big news coming for, for fans of the show and listeners of the show. But um, just over, the, you know, the last, like you said, about two years, uh, just looking at the stats on those shows, they, they are through the roof still and they get a lot of downloads and I, I kind of not regret it, but I'm like, Oh gosh, like maybe we should have like scripted that a little bit more. Cause like, yeah, like the, the gospel of Mary, like there are some things I really wanted to say about that, that we didn't say. And uh, you know, for, for people to listen to that and say like, Oh, well, here's a, you know, a, a brief, uh, you know, conception of each book of the, you know, Hebrew Bible and the new Testament. And I'm like, wait, 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 no, this is just two guys talking, which is what the show has always been. Right, um, you know, or, or two people talking, not just guys. Uh, you know, yeah. we've had Lauren and Mariana and all those people on the oh, show. Right. That's true, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, and, and this whole thing is, and, and Thomas's wife, our partner Trinity, has has been on a number of times. This whole thing has always been just kind of a conversation. So don't feel like you're straying because you're not. And and people want to hear about Saskatchewan. And and I've always heard all the money's in Alberta. And the money yeah. is in Alberta. So yeah. So um, let's see. So. Uh, an interesting factoid, uh, which would be of, of interest to the to the, uh, uh, the devout portions of the audience, is that um, so American uh, evan- evangelical Christianity has not really gotten much of a foothold in Canada. Uh, there was some scholarship. Maybe I can try and find it. See, so you're, you're jumping the gun. I was going to ask about this, but yeah, go oh, ahead. Oh, okay. No, yeah, no. So, 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 um, so one of the apparent bulwarks against that has been. Canada's traditionally relatively high Catholic population. I think it's on the order of 25%. Um, Canada is kind of this interesting hybrid country, a Métis country, mixed country, in that uh, the French and the English decided to try to get along. And uh, interestingly, the whole French-Canadians love hockey thing 
came about because uh, Irish rugby players were looking for something to do in the off season, the winter. Uh, they started this hockey thing, and a bunch of these fellow Catholic uh, French Canadians were like, well, these guys are also Catholic, so even if we fight on the ice, it's not going to go back into the streets. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to the, you know, Protestant Catholic hating, you know, English Canadians. It's, it's kind of like the, the, the pressure valve that we talk about with Frederick Law Olmsted and, and, no, who was that? That was not Frederick Law Olmsted. Uh, anyway, uh, the idea of, like, the, the West was kind of America's release valve because things were bottled up kind of east of, right, of right. the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so that is uh, one thing. Um, now, I'm myself a resident of BC, British Columbia, which is the, uh, I think, the leading uh, atheistic uh, jurisdictions or province or state in North America. Yeah, I mean, you all are, are basically like Europe west we're i mean all, that's right we're like we're sort of post hippie sort of european-esque new agey um and um uh, you, you just need to like grab seattle and like make your own country like cascadia or, or whatever it, it, it's you know right. how there's that one little part of russia that's not connected to the rest it's like if we could just nab portland then yeah, you know, yeah. Perfect. uh but yeah so so and and not to like i have a very i have a similar mild distrust of a new age movement type things just as with any other you know group belief system or any other uh, social uh, grouping. Um, but, you know, for better or for worse, that's what where we are here in British Columbia. And we happen to have a provincial government, so the equivalent of a state government, where the balance of power is held by the Green Party, of all people. So we have the Social Democrats, uh, who are, th- are two seats short of majority, the uh, Provincial Liberals, which is a pro-business conservative party, even though they're called the Liberal Party, and the Green Party has a balance of power, uh, which means that we have the, the sort of exceeding California set of environmental targets and sort of built-in um, uh, sort of environmental aims and policies, which uh, will at least last for non- another number of years. But um, again, we're, we're very much the far left uh, of the left coast uh, of Canada out here. Yeah, so interesting. So, I mean, when you talk about that and, and you kind of combine that with what we were discussing earlier, uh, it's fascinating to, to see a province that has such a big Green Party or, or you know, Democratic Socialist um, component. But, like, religion-wise, I mean, is it mostly Catholic or are, are there, you know, like here in, in the southeastern United States, there are a lot of evangelical kind of spinoffs and, and quote, non-affiliated type churches. It, it, do you have anything out there like that? Or is it, is it mostly, uh, you know, yes. kind of mainline Anglican Episcopalian type stuff? Sure. So um, I'm just trying to pull this, uh, this up off Wikipedia. So um, the, uh, in the time, in our next census, which is 2021, uh, BC will be majority that is 50% plus no religious affiliation. Um, if they were at 446 one percent in 2011 and christian was 44.6 percent and you know just with the 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 modern slash postmodern world uh you got to figure that the the nuns are going to be uh, the straight majority yeah uh, sure. among among christian denominations um i'm just trying to pull this off uh here but uh, i think the like traditionally apart from uh, catholicism uh we have a lot of uh emigration from uh, Catholic countries here, not so much Europe, but uh, the Philippines, for example. Right, and yeah. uh, there is a strong Catholic church in uh, in various Chinese areas from which we get a lot of uh, immigration. Um, uh, we so there is a strong Catholic element. Uh, I believe there is uh, the, the the 
the nuns have probably come out of the Anglican mainline church uh, demographic. That would be my, my guess. Yeah. I'll try and pull that up here uh, as you uh, continue your patter, but uh, it is, um, it, I guess it's the uh, Asian immigration tends to be our uh, influx of, uh, of, of faith traditions of all sorts. Yeah, uh, sure. Here, sure. here in the uh, in the uh, in the province. Well, even in Korea, I know there's there's a very strong you know evangelical and and um, you know Protestant tradition. I, I've got a friend who was a he's from the Mormon tradition, and and he lived in Seoul for uh, his whole childhood. And uh, his stories are always fascinating because uh, they went from Seattle to Seoul, Korea, and then back to Salt Lake City. And um, just just hearing, and now he's back in Seattle. And hearing his stories about being, you know, a little white Mormon kid living in Korea in the 70s and then, you know, moving back to the United States to Salt Lake City and uh, kind of all the in-between. It's always really fun to, to hear. Um, uh, Ken Jennings, uh, the, the guy from Jeopardy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he, a Mormon fellow, isn't he? Same, yeah. He also lived in Korea uh, for a while, so my friend always talks about that. And they never okay. crossed paths, but, yeah, his family was a missionary family hmm. and uh, lived in Korea for a while, then moved back to the United States. Um so I think it's really interesting to talk about kind of those migration terms. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think in the coming, definitely in the coming two decades, but in, in the next decade here, the 2020s, I think it's going to be so fascinating to see how those religious traditions, even here in, in the southeastern United States, which is the buckle of the Bible Belt, uh, mm. how those things evolve and change and, and what that looks like. Because, um, you know, just this week we got news that the United Methodist Church, which is uh, pretty important here and, and pretty widespread here there's besides baptists you know if you, if you throw a rock you're going to hit a methodist and the only difference mm. between methodist and baptist here really is that uh you know the methodists talk to each other at the liquor store on saturday uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of the ongoing joke but the um the methodists here are, are quite numerous and uh the, basically the denomination is going to split and it's the second biggest denomination besides southern baptist in the united states uh, over the LGBTQ question. So mm. there's going to be kind of a traditionalist Methodist church and a United Methodist church. Um, and they're going to let them take their buildings. It's, it's a really fascinating thing if it passes in May at a general conference. Um, I, I went to a small liberal arts school that was Methodist growing up uh, you know, in, in college for, for university. And um, I was heavily influenced by you know, that, that Methodist tradition. So just seeing like what, you know, how something as as seemingly concrete, you know, it's like kind of your, if you go to any church in the United States, and I'm going to speak generally, um, and you say, hey, I just want to go to a milk toast, middle of the road, non-political. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, right. That's kind of, just kind of, you know, moderate church. I just, just want to go for Easter and, and Christmas. It, at least around here, you're probably going to end up in a Methodist church, maybe a, a PC USA church or, you know, Presbyterian church. But it's always been seen as kind of the the middle, the most middle of the road church you can go. So to see that church uh, or that denomination split over something like you know the question of you know LGBTQ uh, affirmation, it's incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, Thomas and I used to talk about this because he's now PCUSA and we were at one time both CBF, which is Cooperative Baptist. We split over the the question of women in leadership and ordaining women which, you know, 30 years afterwards looks kind of silly to even talk about splitting a denomination over that. But we broke off from the, the Southern Baptist Convention because 
we were like, no, we're Baptists and we, we can ordain whoever we want to. Um, so the, the, there's you know, these constant splits, but I think in the next 10 years, we're going to see, I don't know, I don't know if it's the- Coalescing yeah. maybe, or a sort of- like a, I think we're going to further, further fracturing and, and people, I think millennials and, and even the, the Gen Z, the Zoomers, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, uh, those generations that are coming after us, Gen Xers, just don't really give a damn about a lot of this stuff. So mm-hmm. it, it's going to be so interesting to see if they continue that tradition of splitting over, you know, women in ministry or LGBTQ rights or, right. you know, what color we should paint the, the church office, right. whatever. Um, so- so would yeah. you foresee there are many like unifications? So I, I was able to pull up a few things. So Catholics, uh, again, because uh, you know French French Canadians were a big part of Canada's history, is still a big a, a huge uh, portion of the population. Catholics are like 39 percent of the population in Canada in twenty eleven. So it will have dropped by this point, especially after the the scandals of have, uh, have uh, come out. Yeah, uh, sure. Anglican, Anglicans maybe five percent, and then the United Church, which is basically a coalescence of uh, Methodist and Presbyterian churches and a couple others uh, oh. is another another few percent, and so um, so I would be interested if uh, like first off uh, as you were talking about these various splits, I was thinking you really need to do a, a JEPD kind of a, or a documentary <laughs> hypothesis kind of a you know this is where these guys come from how they connect together and how they split uh, just just to kind of uh, visualize it better. Uh, but I would uh, wonder if you do get a coalescing of certain religious groups who have, in broad terms, uh, very similar beliefs and values, uh, faced with like a shrinking, uh, you know, church-going demographic, uh, and also, um, you know, because uh, it's like I don't know, like a, this might be a little bit too, you know, vulgar or, or mundane, but it's like if a car dealership has used to sell a thousand cars a year, now they sell like six hundred, they might bring another brand in and represent another guy to. Sort of, you know, <laughs> now, now we sell Kias and Hyundais. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's, that's, and, and that's such a, a sort of pertinent issue for a lot of sort of what we, we, we used to call them the, the seven sisters, which is terrible, normative, you know, gender language, but it was, you know, kind of the seven churches that made up what we call mainline Protestantism in the United States, mm. you know, so Methodist, BT USA, um, United Church of Christ, um, like in all the other ones, but uh, Disciples of Christ, uh, you know, there's kind of seven mainline, uh, ELCA, the Lutherans, uh, the, the mainline Lutherans, not the crazy Lutherans, as we call them. And um, th- there was that kind of group of sort of mainline Protestant churches, in the, in, especially in the 50s, 60s, 70s, that really kind of define American Christianity because, you know, we've always had a majority Catholic population because of New York city and, uh, you know, other metropolitan areas, but especially like, you know, here in the South or out West, those numbers go dramatically down when, when you get out, outside of uh, the main population centers for, for Catholic groups. And, um, those, all, all the, all of those churches are struggling. Um, and, and rapidly declining. Even the Southern Baptist Convention, which is not a member of the Seven Sisters, uh, you know, we, we've seen huge uh, downturns in the number of baptisms and, and hmm. new churches. Yeah. Oh, I didn't it's, so, so it's like, is it like the Mormons are the only guys who are growing then? Because Mor- uh, yeah, Mormons and uh, the Catholic Church here because of the Hispanic uh, population. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or and, and Latino and Latinx population. You know, is still growing despite 
the current administration's attempts to uh, prevent that. Right. Um, you know, and, and like you said, you know, the, the number of immigrants coming from Asia who move here, especially from like the Philippines, or we had a huge influx of people from Puerto Rico after the destruction oh, right. there. Yeah. So, um, you know, all those areas are bringing Catholicism kind of back into uh, places like Florida and Texas and that kind of thing. But it's a different type of Catholicism and a different type of Democratic Party and a different different type of Republican Party. Right. Um, so it's it's really fascinating to see that kind of the, I don't know, the breakdown of what, you know, uh, I would say Donald Trump would define as the great America of the 50s and 60s where, right. you know, you kind of have the white woman and the white guy and they had their, their – shovel and, and the pitchfork and they're standing in front of their farm and they went to the Methodist church on Sunday. Um, that, that picture is really changing. And I look at my 12 year old daughter and, uh, you know, she goes to church with us because she has to, but, but uh, you know, uh, we, we had these conversations and she's like, really, like you, you really, you really think this is going to you know do this thing. It, 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 it it's always a fun conversation. And I, and I love having that with her. And I love that she's testing those boundaries. Cause I did the same thing when I was 13, 14, and um, I, I don't know. I, I think we're going to be in for a big, big change. And again, I mean, with my day-to-day work, I work with a lot of churches and nonprofits, and we're seeing so many, um, so so much change in terms of how at one time people would say, well, you know, here's our church church budget for the new year because we've got this many donors and they're, they've pledged to give this much you know, amount of money, you know, uh, this many times a year. So by the end of the year, we're going to have this much money, like a, public radio station here. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then that's just not the case anymore. I mean, people, people just, you know, they're not giving, but they're, they're also not participating. And right. You know, I, I think, I think there's that that's in a way that's good because it's causing a lot of religious groups to, you know, wake up and, and smell the roses, but you know, it's also going to, to lead to more changes and, and evolution, as you said, and then maybe coalescing eventually, but, I think people are going to start squabbling more and more over the details rather than kind of, you know, focusing on the big picture. Yeah. So I guess uh, one thing, uh, another factor that, that may cause maybe the U S to be more uh, religious than uh, Canada, than, than European countries, I wonder is like the, um, the amount of social good or social policy uh, which protects people when they're in times of, uh, times of stress and, uh, economic uncertainty uh, from from what I've read and I've read some Christopher Hedges and some other guys uh, it would seem that the lack of social supports outside a faith community uh, can be a very good reason for out of sheer you know survival um, at some ult- ul- ulterior level uh, driving membership here so you have a, a community who to whom you can turn and support uh, because there is such little um, sort of overall, um, uh, public policy support for people in times of economic transition and, and so forth. Yeah. So that was one thing. That was one yeah. thing that uh, that came to mind. Uh, the other thing is uh, so you mentioned the Seven Sisters, and so even though um, I talk about EVs a fair, I guess I, I talk about EVs somewhat. I've been on Canadian uh, Canadian NPR. Actually, I've been on NPR once, actually, even. Uh, oh, really? Talking about, talking about hydrogen and fuel cells. Um, yeah, it was a it was a, it was a highlight. You know. It's my epitaph. Was once on NPR. So um, <laughs> the uh, so so I, I'm a chemical engineer by by training. I've I've been in the clean tech sector, working on hydrogen technologies, wind, solar, now electric cars for about 20 years. And when you said seven sisters in respect to those denominations, like the literally the first thing that came to mind was the seven sisters of oil companies, 
back in the day, which were uh, right. BP, yep. um, th three, brand, three heads of the Chevron Hydra, two heads of ExxonMobil, and uh, Royal Dutch Shell. Yep. I just pulled that off the uh, the list here, but uh, yeah, it was it was just uh, the first thing that came to mind from my <laughs> chemical engineering background. <laughs> That's uh, in funny. the uh, in the world of uh, you know uh, of the stuff needed to make uh, you know single use plastics and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I use an app called Stash um, where you oh yeah you, yeah you get like a debit card or whatever and, and so I, I put so much money on it every week and I use it to buy fuel for my truck and uh, it it. It sort of rounds up. So if you set, you know, if you spend eighteen dollars and and thirty eight cents, it'll round up the other, you know, sixty two cents to, uh, you know, apply to an investment. Oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah. So an investment where you buy it. So I've got a couple of shares in Royal Dutch Shell, and I got a, a thing <laughs> the other day. You know, not a lot, but just over the years, you know, it kind of accumulates. And and I feel terrible because I, I don't. I, I intentionally don't invest in any sort of petroleum-based <laughs> uh, products, right. but I've got this these stocks in Shell. So I got a, a pretty good dividend cut the other day, and I was like, oh, wow. And they're like, yeah, yeah it's a European stock, so here's your dividend. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to invest this in something good, I guess. But anyway, this is well, funny actually, you said so that. Well, actually, the, uh, the, that whole transformative thing is interesting. Now, uh, not to whitewash any of the things that uh, oil companies have done, um, so Shell, ha uh, in about 1999 or so, they decided that oil wasn't the future, natural gas was the future. And so right now, they make most of the money off of uh, natural gas huh, uh, really? sales. That's, so, so they basically, they, they don't do that much oil production. They often buy from suppliers, refine it, and resell it. So they're the top uh, retail seller of oil around the world, like most stations. But they don't actually do a lot of the actual work. They, kind of, they, they add value, basically. Interesting. And, uh, I didn't know and that. They've, wow. had, they've had this massive pivot in a number of years. And again, I'm not trying to whitewash them. I'm sure there's terrible things uh, that they have done as well. But they've concluded that renewable energy is the future. Uh, so by 2030, they want to um, they want to be the world's largest producer of renewable electricity. Uh, they bought a charging station network for home chargers. So oh, wow. that just as they are the world's leading vendor of uh liquid fuels for transportation. They want to be the world's leading uh, vendor of transportation fuel as, ele sorry, electricity as transportation fuel as well. So, let let um, me ask you about that. So yeah, when, sure. when Tesla or, or like Shell or these companies, uh, what's the other, uh, Vivint Solar here? There's another company. Yeah, Vivint is a solar uh, rooftop. Uh, yeah. Company. So so when they, when they have these battery packs that you put in your garage or whatever, do yeah. you... Are, are those just powered through, like here in the U.S., we, we love to burn coal. Are they powered through coal or, or, or is like Shell working on powering or Tesla working on powering this up through other methods? Sure, yeah. So uh, understandable question. Um, I think most people who have battery packs at home, the idea or at least the promise, the premise is that you uh, you overproduce. You can put a larger solar panel on the on your rooftop in a given day, and then maybe you can re reduce your purchases to the utility uh, by charging the battery during the day. Uh, in particular, in locations where you might be charged a higher price at peak use time, so like maybe from four to eight p.m. or something like that. Everyone comes home, puts on their air conditioner, you know, maybe electric stove top or washer dryer. And so the idea with those uh, home battery storage systems is that um, you can capture lower value mid-to-day electricity from solar panels, say, and then reuse that instead of running um, natural gas peaker plants, 
which might only come on for four hours a day, 200 odd days of the, of the year, uh, which are inefficient, uh, expensive, costly, and more polluting than just, you know, providing more value, make, creating a more value for that uh, solar or renewable electricity by time shifting it, more or less. Uh, also, the um, coal, I think, has now dropped below 25% of the U.S. Uh, electricity grid. Oh, uh, okay, cool. It's, it's now, now, every state is different, of course, uh, right. but uh, the fracking revolution, which is one of those terrible and also fantastic things, uh, has probably done more to cut the knees off coal than anything else, uh, although uh, the rise of renewable electricity is itself going to, uh, what's it, uh, cannibalize a lot of those natural gas gains in the uh, in the longer term, so sure, anyway, sure, yeah, that's we, a bit of my clean tech uh, nerdery. For <laughs> and we're going to have a link in the show notes for all Matthew's site. So if you're interested in this stuff, there's uh, lots that Matthew does that, that I, I find fascinating, and I go into his sites every now and then just to peek and see what he's up to. Um, and I, I know here we, we or our state, uh, the main electric cooperative. You would find this fascinating. It was called uh, SENG, and they were investing. I think like twelve billion dollars in a new uh, nuclear reactor. Oh, that's with you guys! Wow. Yeah, that, that was us. The VC Falls thing, uh, just north of Columbia, and it, it collapsed and it was huge, huge, huge uh, debacle. It, it caused the state to sell off the electric cooperative to Dominion Energy from Virginia. So now we get all of our power from Dominion Energy instead of SENG, and. Um, yeah, I actually went to, to college with a guy who was one of the lead attorneys for the old power uh, company here, and he had a rough go of it out here <laughs> just because it was such right. a, a debacle. Um, right. So, yeah, so anyway, it's, it's been heavily in the news because the whole, the whole point was like, hey, you know, you're, you're going to be paying for this thing for the next 50 years, but that's good because your, your energy rates are going to go down. So, uh, I mean, there are times we pay two, three hundred dollars, you know, a month, 300 bucks a month easy for a pretty small house in South oh, Carolina. Oh, God. Wow. That's yeah. Crazy. And that was, that was kind of average. Wow. So supposedly we're going to get a rate cut and some money back. We're supposed to get like $1,800. Like every South Carolina resident was going to get like $1,800 back, which we're not going to see because it's only going to be like 200 bucks or something because of the lawyer fees. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the energy question is so fascinating. It's kind of, it's kind of like the religion part, you know, it's like, mm-hmm you know, how and why are we transitioning and, and are people paying attention to this transition? Because it, it, it feels in a lot of ways, like, especially here in the United States, but even there in Canada or in Mexico, for sure, there's so much going on that if, if you're, I don't know, if, if you're a child of the seventies and eighties, like I am yeah, every, yeah, every day feels like it's, it's, you know, there, there's a new revolution. You <laughs> know, like something else has happened. Like, oh, we, we took out this Iranian general today. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I, yeah that, that was yeah. a. I mean, I, I've I've so uh, I I talked to Sam on uh, Twitter earlier that I'd uh, so I was trying to do a bit of a Advent style leaning off of social media for the month of December, so I'd get less irritated at random strangers posting things in my Twitter timeline, <laughs> and it, it largely worked. I'm 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 I regret that I will be going back to using social media more because. It's uh, it's it's kind of uh, nice in a sheltered and uh, blissful ignorance sort of a way. It uh, is. It but, is. But that was one of the thing which which crept through everything. I was in you know blissful lack of awareness with you know post holiday stuff, and then suddenly oh well, there's a there's a possible act of war kind of a thing. <laughs> right. It's a new Franz Ferdinand type incident. 
we're really, right. uh, we're, we're going to hop onto a new world war. Yeah, so I, I posted about that today on my on my personal blog because I um I've had samharrelson.com since 2006 and I used to use it as really kind of my personal Twitter before there was Twitter. And then mm. Twitter came along and I thought, okay, well, cool. You know, there's this new thing. And I, I got on Twitter back when it was like TWTTR and it was in beta. Oh, wow. Old. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was user 124 or something, 125 or something. Wow. I had, that's I had, like, wow. Yeah. I had at Sam uh, for a while, which. Wow. I, I, I changed because people were saying like at Sam for other Sams. And I had at Sam on, on Tumblr as well. Wow. And uh, I actually sold that one for like 50 bucks stupidly, but um, not now because Tumblr's dead. But right. I, I wrote <laughs> Twitter support. And I was like, I think it was Jack or whoever. And I was like, hey, you know, can I change to my full name? Because people are writing at Sam and, and this is all SMS based. I'm getting all these text messages that I don't really want to get. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And like in, in uh, late 2006, I, I changed from at Sam to at Sam Harrelson. Huh. Yeah, it's crazy. But um and I've been out there. I met the Twitter team. I, I know a couple of guys out there who who are still there and, and fantastic people. But I, I thought, oh wow, Twitter's going to be this awesome new internet protocol that is going to uh, help people get to our personal blogs or to our personal websites. And mm-hmm. they ended up, like as you said earlier, kind of cannibalizing, you know, w- how we communicate in public between that and Facebook and maybe Instagram. Um, whereas I thought, okay, well these things are going to point people in, in the direction of our personal sites. So I, I, I've had this site for a long time. I had a big marketing blog back in the day that um, I loved and, and it got me a lot of exposure and that's kind of how I got into the marketing world. But um, I, I just kind of ran down like my top 10 posts from the decade from 2010 to 2020. And the first one is about being a high church Baptist, which is really funny. Um, so I kind of, I, I would have thought that was niche, but Hey, I mean, that's, <laughs> It still gets like thousands of hits a month. It's really crazy. I don't know. I, I guess if you Google it, that's one of the top results. Um, and then, you know, there are a couple of tech things in there, a couple of marketing stuff, and then more religion stuff. But I was I was writing today. To, yeah, just kind of, I mean, to follow what we're talking about, just to say, like, uh, there was this glorious time where we all had our own sites and we blogged there and you would link to other blogs or link to other people's sites and say, you know, hey, Matthew wrote this really interesting thing about, you know, uh, the, the, the Tesla, whatever. And, and, yeah. you know, here's this linked over here to him and, um, you know, you should go read their stuff. Whereas now it's just a, a quick tweet and it doesn't have the same effect and it makes you neurotic when you just sit on Twitter all day or, or when you're constantly sort of refreshing Twitter, whereas right. those long form pieces really kind of helped you flesh it out and, and think about stuff in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's that, kind of dopamine release of, of immediacy that, that we all seek out, which I think is, is um, good. I mean, it's, it's great that we have that kind of access to stuff, but at the same time, I, I do miss those good old days of, of, you know, listening to an album on vinyl and writing your blog post and, <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh, I, I, I still think we're going to get back to something like that, honestly, in, in the tech world. I think we're, and in, in the religion world, even, I think we're all going to, eventually kind of wake up to the, the dangers of immediacy and, uh, and say, Hey, you know, like maybe it's cool if we, uh, we all have our own sites where we kind of think through a topic rather than just, you know, replying to this political writer or, you know, replying to Donald Trump's tweets or yeah. whatever. And, 
that, that's my great hope for for the coming decade. It, it's like um, I think Twitter is uh, is like that. Uh, it's like the id maybe of uh, of the uh, you know human intellectual capacity or something. Yeah, uh, I think right. I think Facebook tends to be more you know within one's own communities or within one's one's own groups, but um, there is just it's just remarkable how um, uh, it's it's like this ready-made conflict or zone for conflict rather conflict zone. Or zone. It is dangerous. Yeah, but, uh, it's, uh, it's a uh, yeah. I, I would make an analogy with uh, with respect to you know when when there's a new denomination or a new church or a new religious group comes out, I'm sure everyone has these fantastic idyllic ideas but this is all going to be wonderful we're never going to fight with our neighbors and yet give it enough time and then for sure um, you're going to have these histrionic bun fights between two people who disagree about the most minor thing and yet it's a chasm uh, you know, it's an unbridgeable chasm between them and so you're going to have schisms and so forth um, I would also wonder now um, so living in a literate society the experience of <laughs> pre-literate societies, like before widespread uh, literacy, is probably different as well. Uh, like the religious experience, if you can't actually read stuff and you're relying on the priest or your, I don't know, your temple uh, leader to read certain passages each week, uh, that would be a different experience as well. Uh, but I would, I would wonder if, like in this Marshall McLuhan kind of medium is the message kind of way, what the what like there must have been an, uh, an even more wrenching change going from sort of oral traditions to written traditions. Yeah, because, right. Um, uh, again, just, uh, and um, uh, I don't think you guys had Q in the, uh, in the Bible Bracket Challenge. If, if <laughs> we, but you did have we gospel did not, yeah. I was totally rooting for until it got cut down unfairly by, I forget if it was Kings or something. But, um, <laughs> but uh, there is this, uh, I, I can certainly imagine that, you know, uh, when uh, written materials became more common or commonplace, or you could have codices and printing, then I'm sure people who were, you know, who, who enjoyed the upsides of the oral tradition method were like tut-tutting the, uh, you know, the, the downfalls of how, are, how is this, how is the faith experience going to change if it's mainly written based, right? Yeah. So it's, a, it's sort of like the argument that, you know, Socrates and, and Plato had about books, you know, and Socrates said, you, you can't write this stuff down because, uh, writing stuff down and, and making these books is is going to make people dumber. Plato and Plato says no, no, no. It's, it's going to help spread knowledge. And Socrates says no, no. You, you know, you need to be able to think about this stuff and talk about this stuff and, and don't write books. Like go go talk and go preach. And uh, it, it was it's a fun conversation. I think it's in Tritha. I'm going to get yelled at by my classics friends, but um, fascinating sort of. Uh, you know, it's kind of sidebar there with, with uh, Socrates and Plato, but even even with the Gospels, I mean, there were lots of Gospels in the first and, and second and third centuries, and you know, they really didn't coalesce into the four Gospels that we have now until you know the late third fourth centuries. Um, but when people talk about like having a first century Mark or an original copy of Luke, right. there's no such thing, and, and the reason is these are all performative pieces. Um, you know, to, to, to read to yourself in the ancient world was odd. You know, when you right. read something, you That's right. yeah, yeah, you read out loud, right? So when in Acts, there's that you know funny story about the Ethiopian eunuch who hears um, I forgot his name uh, reading out loud, and he's like, "What are you reading?" And uh, it's like, "Oh, well, you know, here's here's this book." Um, there's such a, a weird conception in, in our modern world because we are so literate in terms of reading everything, especially with our mobile devices now. Right. Um, 
we, you know, we, we don't, we don't talk on the phone. You know, we, we that is text so each true. other. That is so true. Yeah. yeah. But in the ancient world, the gospels would have been performed and there would have been people walking around with copies of Luke who would have been, you know, they would have come to your, your meeting house or, you know, your synagogue or, or whatever. There weren't really synagogues until the late first century. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a Richard Horsley fan. Uh, but the idea that, um, you know, the, these people were kind of wandering around taking uh, money as, as sort of a traveling, you know, kind of kind of like we have yeah. comedians today, right? Right. Oh, it's like the the, the Homeric uh, uh, poets kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, that so, had never occurred to me, actually, but that's that's a fascinating uh, thought there. Yeah, So the, and, and those things eventually get written down. But when we talk mm-hmm. about the, you know, when was Mark written, we don't really know. We know it was after mm-hmm. the, the temple in Jerusalem fell for obvious right. reasons, but we don't right. really know. And, you know, we, we say 70 to 75, but the idea that there were people, you know, with copies of Mark walking or, or memorized copies of Mark walking around, and talking to synagogues or talking to meeting uh, spaces and, and kind of reciting these things. So when we talk about like the, the wise people, you know, mm-hmm. those are the three stooges of the Bible. Like they were idiots and, and they, were, they were not wise. And, you know, the, the fact that, that we lift them up as these three kings of Orient, like we don't know mm-hmm. how many they were. We don't know if they're all right. male. They definitely weren't white, black and, and whatever right. we plant them as. Um, but but they were kind of seen as, as these comedic characters in, in the middle of a performance. Um, so I, I think we we lose so much when we forget that these things were not just the oral tradition, but also they were performance pieces in a way. Right. Huh. So this is fascinating. So I'm going to undercut your date for the for the for the New Testament canon. Me, the atheist. Uh, I I like a David Trobish's uh, uh, hypothesis that Paul <laughs> yeah. in the late second century, so the late one hundreds. Uh, compiled a uh, a version of the New Testament, which is kind of like Marcion's, the uh, the uh, Marcionite Marcion, in response Marcion, to Marcion, Marcion, I guess that's right. Yeah. In, in response to Marcion, maybe maybe you know, adds in a couple other books to make sure that this that this uh, this network of other of non Marcionite uh, Christian communities could kind of you know hold the hold the line against these upstart guys. So uh, fascinating. I. Uh, so there you go. You have an atheist arguing for earlier uh, canonical uh, resolution than your uh, your uh, stat. The uh, I, I've always been a late dater. I, I, I date I date the uh, the Torah, especially way late. I, I think it was in the Hasmonean period, you know, third second century uh, BCE at the earliest. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there's. I mean, I'm, of- I'm also generally of the uh, of the uh, of. With, with respect to uh, to religious text, uh, a late dater, like there's 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 fascinating things like you were talking about how um, like uh, uh, with Mark you can tell that it's after the uh, the Roman invasion in sixty six to seventy, um, and uh, the fall of the temple there, and uh, like there's a similar thing in like in uh, these head butting between Buddhism and Hinduism. There's a very yeah, common right. text, the the yep. Katha Upanishad, which uh, I know that there are you know very serious academics better. You know, more erudite than I, but it sure looks like uh, you know a, a few lines in this Katha Upanishad are making a direct jab at certain sort of Buddhist beliefs. Exactly. Which to me suggests yep. that you know this thing, or at least those lines, were inserted after Buddhism became you know big enough to be worth thinking about and worth criticizing, as opposed to some little rounding error movement that no one cared about because right. it meant nothing. <laughs> which had to be late. I mean, that was two, right, three hundred. Yeah. You know, at, at the yeah. earliest. Um, so yeah, I mean, with, with me in the, in the New Testament, I'm, I'm a very, very late dater and, and yeah, Polycarp definitely. But 
I actually like Martian. Don't tell anybody. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of a Gnostic, and um, I, I know that didn't reflect itself well in the Bible bracket challenge. But Thomas told me I couldn't say I was I was a Gnostic on here. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I like the Kabbalah and, and my Gnosticism. And uh, if you're listening, Thomas, which you're not, because Thomas doesn't listen to podcasts, and there I, I finally said on the show, I feel free. Oh, wow. Now. Yeah. Wow. He told me I couldn't say that. Um, it's, it's our relationship guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's fascinating. Yeah. And, and it, like you said, especially in Hinduism and Buddhism and, and Taoism, uh, you know, you get these texts that kind of transfer sort of meaning and, and play with themselves. And, and I think that Sanak does that. I think, you know, what we get out of the Hebrew Bible is definitely doing it. You know, in Luke, Jesus is quoting Enoch, maybe, maybe not. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's all That's sorts right. of fun things going on. That's right. And, um, right. I, and I do I do appreciate uh, in uh, the Christian scriptures, particularly in the Christ, Christian traditions, that you have Mark and Matthew, say, and just basically taking massive swings at each other. Sorry, not Mark, uh, Paul, rather. Paul and Matthew. Oh, yeah, uh, right. Paul, I was just uh, writing up a little bit on, um, uh, like, Philippians, uh, commenting about the unnecessary... Uh, about circumcision being unnecessary, and then you have Matthew writing probably a few decades later, or being compiled a few decades later, saying, "Oh well, you know, not one iota, not one dot, not from one the dot. I from the law, which includes circumcision, dietary restrictions, will be struck before the end of time, basically." Yeah. And so, um, one of the marvelous things that uh, Christianity affords when you're looking, when you're reading these in a sort of a, a thirsty to learn manner, is that you have these. Uh, juxtaposed views, whereas in a lot of cases, like in Buddhism, um, you know, you don't get this sort of uh, this internecine disagreements visible. You you get one guy who's you know shouting at someone else across a country or centuries, but you don't actually have the the head to head sort of uh, statement rebuttal rebuttal to the rebuttal, which is uh, it's, it's magical in a way uh, to be able to see these. Uh, I guess the authenticity of that uh, early Christian experience. Exactly, exactly. And that's what gets me so frustrated with, with my Baptist brethren who say, oh, you know, the Bible's inerrant and, you know, the, the way it was delivered is how it is. And, you know, just you can pluck a passage here, pluck a passage there. We got a, a, a Christmas card today from a, a, actually a well-known politician in the United States. I won't say who, um, <laughs> close family friend. But they quoted Genesis, oh, no, Galatians 5.22, which is like – it's part of the chapter in Galatians where Paul is talking about the circumcision party that, that came to his churches in Galatia after he had left and said, no, no, if you're going to be a Jewish Christian, you actually, you have to be circumcised. And, and, and in Galatians 5.12, Paul says, I, I wish those guys would uh, go ahead and, and take the full measure and cut off their, you know, malehood. And, you know, so it's like this, really funny chat or verse. It's one of my favorite verses, but it's also one of my favorite chapters, but they were quoting this, the end of that saying like, uh, you know, the, the joy of grace is found through love and self-control and peace. And I'm like, yeah, but read 10 verses before that. Cause he's talking about like cutting off your, your penis. Like, geez, right. Don't, don't take that out of context. Um, right, right. you know, and, and there's so much about sort of, uh, you know, pulling things out of, of context that that don't jive when you actually read the the whole bar, the whole bit, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's fascinating that uh, you know these texts play off of each other, and even even something like the cross, right? So in in Luke, and we can wrap up here, but you sure, know, sure. 
in Luke, the idea of what causes righteousness or what causes being justified or, you know, however you want to say that it's all about, uh, the, um, death and the ascension of Jesus in Matthew. It's a, it's a a different beast. It's, it's mostly about the life of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, not necessarily the ascension. So even in Matthew and Luke, and then in Mark, it's a kind of a totally different thing. So even something like the cross, I mean, in Luke, the cross was seen as a scandal. And in Paul, Mm -hmm. it's seen as a scandal as well. And Paul goes through great leap, you know, leaps to sort of explain away why Jesus was crucified. But he doesn't talk about Jesus' crucifixion. You know, he doesn't talk about the historical Jesus. Doesn't give any of his teachings. Yeah, exactly. He, He dances around it and he's trying to justify like, okay, well, this guy, yeah, he was you know, put away in the electric chair. And I always, so I'm starting a, a 18 month Bible study in, in Acts next week at our church. Again, like, I think you, you just finished one in the, uh, <laughs> I did about the, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Marianna, <laughs> Marianna got moved to a new church. So we're at a new church and she was like, do you want to do that thing? And I was like, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, God, God pray for our, our poor, poor uh, people. But oh, hopefully, again, they fall asleep that one, like that one yeah. fellow in the uh, in uh, <laughs> exactly, and, and he he passed away shortly after that show. It felt terrible, but um, <laughs> we uh, you know we go through verse by verse. But I always talk about in, in Luke how um, you know it, it's not about the crucifixion itself. The, the cross is the scandal on or the stumbling block, as Paul calls it, and Luke is very close to Paul, mm-hmm. and it, it would be sort of like us. You know, we're, we're almost twenty years after David Koresh. Do you remember David Koresh? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, the wacko down in Waco, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, so David Koresh and the, and the Branch Davidians. And it, it would be sort of like us, like, having a gun on our necklaces or, or like, an electric chair or whatever, you know, to, to celebrate David Koresh as a messiah. And if you said, like, no, David Koresh, you know, he was definitely the messiah. He died and he was resurrected and, and here he is. And, you know, right. maybe some fish on the beach last week. People would look at right. you really crazy. Yes. And uh, that's that's kind of what Acts is all about. Is is explaining away, you know, why Jesus died the way he died because it was not a great way to die. And I, I think early Christianity, you know, that and, and the baptism, uh, you know, of Jesus through John and maybe the virgin birth. There's all these like sort of weird stories we got to work through, you know, to get to the heart of the matter. And right. people get really hung up on those, and we we develop yeah. these. Thomas Aquinas, you know, huge uh, theological treatises to kind of explain this away. But at the heart of the matter is like, he was a human and it was sort of weird and we got to figure this out, you know? Right. So, so it's like, uh, it's like the difference between connotation and, sorry, denotation and connotation. I mean, like maybe context and subtext in that, um, you know, a lot of things that seem pretty, pretty clear in one view look completely different if you, if you reimagine yourselves in that particular situation, uh, I, I've often wondered. Well, you know, if if I was a if I was a uh, you know a, a Jewish person, a culturally Jewish person in you know the first few centuries A.D., and someone told me that uh, you know my uh, the Messiah had come, uh, and it's recorded in this book, which is not Hebrew, um, then I'd be like, well, well, why would God you know tr- you know go to a completely different language to you know, to, to supplement, you know, the, the, uh, the traditions that we have, that just doesn't make any sense. And besides there are these, you know, innumerable different ways in which this is kind of not, you know, you would have to kind of work at, you know, making these coincident with, uh, with Jewish, with Jewish traditions. It would be like, I don't know, like, uh, 
President Xi finding, you know, the next three U.S. amendments to the Constitution, <laughs> all of them written in, you know, perfect Mandarin or something. You know, it's, right. just, it's a bit of a leap there. And, well, uh, and, and I, not a whole lot of first century. I mean, you know, Jesus spoke Aramaic. And, and that, okay, that's true. But and yeah, not I guess a whole there are lot some, of Jews were writing or, or speaking in Aramaic. They would have mostly spoken right. Greek and, and I mean, in Hebrew, they were mostly speaking in Greek and Aramaic. Sort right. of like it's like Sumerian, you know, like Sumerian survived for two thousand years after it went out of practice because of the the priests. That's um, right. Yes. You know, or the Egyptians, they were writing in demotic and they yeah, were talking I guess in demotic. Like the Koine Greek kind of thing going. Yeah, on. exactly. All the same. Uh, all the same. I guess if I was a priest or something, I'd be like, "Dude, it's not the right language." Like, yeah. That's the point. <laughs> right. um, it, it's like uh, for the same reason. I, I uh, you know, I, I have uh, no uh, educated uh, ability to judge on like uh, uh, conflicts between different uh, Christian groups, but. I mean, if I'm the Catholics, I would think that I'm a little bit worried because, you know, the Orthodox guys have, you know, home language advantage because I'm using a Latin mass and they're in Greek. And, and the Orthodox the are, are written. Yeah, right. and the Orthodox are, are correct. I mean, that's, that's right. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, yeah they're, they're, their entire word doesn't just mean, you know, it means correct as opposed to universal, which is kind of the second best <laughs> right. label to give yourselves, right? It's like, you know, who gave them first choice? And yeah. then, uh, like, Protestantism is really interesting to me, just again, intellectually, because that comes along maybe 1,500 years later. It's kind of analogous to, like, Tibetan Buddhism, which, again, arises 1,500-odd years after the fact, and yet, um, you know, to people who are Tibetan But, but we're the fundamentalists. <laughs> we, we, you know, we recovered the true, we, you know, we recovered the true, true meaning. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the, the <laughs> argument you need to make if you're sort of a Johnny-come-lately there. You know, not, not to judge any, you know, any... Uh, uh, any uh, uh, creeds or beliefs by their point of origin, but certainly if I'm uh, if I'm coming along later, I would certainly make the argument that I guess actually that the Mahayana Buddhists also make a few centuries after the fact, after the Theravadins had to, had gotten themselves in trenches, like well, we're actually coming back to the original, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> right. it's kind of a go-to move. I love and, I love the uh, Mahayana Buddhists. I, I know it's terrible to say that, but I, I'm, I'm a huge fan, and uh, I, I actually have my Mahayana. Uh, prayer beats right here. Really? Um, oh, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, big fan. Yeah, so uh, now I'm, I'm more of a Theravadan fan, and I mean, I like the mandalas that the Tibetan Buddhists make, but yeah. it's just a little bit of a stretch to be like, yes, the Dalai Lama, who is from a tradition that came out in a different <laughs> language, different geography, is, I mean, he's the face of Buddhism at the moment, in the Western world particularly, so fair enough, but right. it's just, it, it would be like, I don't know, the, the, the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention being the, you know, being considered the, the, the face of, 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 yeah, of, of uh, Christianity. Right. It's a little bit different there. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated bag of, bag of worms there, but um, I, I think it's, it's, it, it's great for uh, middle-aged white women who are trying to eat, pray, love their way into enlightenment <laughs> to... <laughs> To call themselves that's true. Yes, that's and say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Buddhist because I listen to the Pope's, I mean, the, to the uh, Dalai Lama's uh, podcast. Right. Uh, oh, so I was, in, I was in Chicago by fluke on an engineering conference in 2007. And I was just, uh, you know, I was, I was, this was in my younger days. I was just meandering around. There was a big gathering in a park. And I was asking some folks, and apparently the Dalai Lama was giving a speech. So I, uh, I managed to scalp some tickets without actually paying. Someone felt guilty about scalping, selling tickets to see the Dalai Lama. So they just gave me, gave me some, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, I, I'm, How was I'm it? sure it, it was, um, I only remember one thing from it. You know, I remember being like, yeah, <laughs> but the, the one thing that I, uh, the one message uh, that I recall from this, you know, sermon on park, whatever, 
uh, was that, uh, you know, it's important to train the mind, but also to train the heart. It was kind of, an, there was an allusion to 9-11 being a matter of intellectual uh, ability and a failure of sort of heart slash empathy slash other sort of uh, um, ability. And, huh. uh, and so again, and, and again, that, that again puts me back to when we have these recorded sayings and so forth from, uh, from not just religious leaders, but, you know, cultural leaders and such, um, it's like, uh, like Kirk never said, beam me up Scotty. He said, you know, up Scotty or various other things, but the actual meme that takes place and what, what gets captured later on, um, often gets sort of massaged to be a little bit more, you know, verbally precise or whatever. Uh, uh, okay. Being Canadian, Wayne Gretzky is often credited with, you know, you skate to where the puck, skate is, where some puck is going. That's right. And, and Wayne Gretzky, and, Michael Scott. Yeah. That's right. And I am absolutely, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, that, that office skate. So, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm quite positive that uh, in one of the early biographies of his, I was a big fan when I was growing up. It was, he credited it to his father, which actually makes more sense to me because who was the guy who taught him to skate the, where the puck was going to be his dad, of course. And yet, uh, of course, it all gets sort of crystallized onto huh. Gretzky himself. And uh, so I guess being at that particular speech by the Dalai Lama, uh, was uh, it, it gave me a new perspective on, um, you know, these momentous, uh, you know, speeches or occasions where these crucial religious teachings get synthesized or get 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 transferred from. It's like, uh, what's the, what's that process? You know, was it, would it have been a twenty minute, you know, um, exposition that gets crystallized into you know the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, I, I, that, that's always been my thing. I've I've always wanted to be like, you know, what was the Sermon on the Mount or you know, what was the memory that, that caused, you know, this, this event to happen or, or the feeding of the 5,000 or the 3,000 or, you know, whatever it was. 4,000, I think. <laughs> right. Kind of, <laughs> it changes. Based a- on atheist fact checker here. Atheist yeah. scripture checker. Yeah. You so, know, and, or, or, you know, how did we, we get this, you know, these sayings in the gospel of Thomas, by the way, uh, I was at a baseball card uh, signing thing in early nineties and uh, there are a couple of baseball guys who, who I loved. My dad drove me up there. We stayed in a hotel. It was very fun. I was, you know, like 12 years old, me and my, my best friend. And uh, Wayne Gretzky was there. And no one, really? knew, wow. no one knew who Wayne Gretzky was. And he was there. And, <laughs> and it's, it was L.A. Kings, right? And, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Jersey. And he was literally, like, giving away cards because everyone was at, like, uh, you know, Ryan Sandberg or, or, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Andre oh, Dawson. Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 There are all these guys, you know, like yeah, yeah. huge lines for those. And no and one was at Wayne Gretzky's table and he's just kind of sitting there. So wow. I sat down and I was like, Hey, you know what do you do? And he's like, I'm a hockey player. And I was like, Oh, cool. So I still wow, have a card. Oh my God. We it's talked like, for like 10 touching, minutes. Touching the hand that had, <laughs> Holy cow. It's like, it like, must've been a, that must've been an amazing relief for him because in Canada he would have been completely mobbed. You yeah, know, uh, I know. People, so it was people so would funny. interrupt him at, at McDonald's to be like, "Can you get a burger?" He's like, "After I eat, please, kid." And, <laughs> oh. um, so, uh, but yeah, that must have been an amazing experience for him. I, I don't uh, remember it. He was just sitting there with his arms behind his head, kind of like just laid back, and and uh, walked up, and I was like, "Hey, so uh, do you play baseball?" And he was like, "No, no, I'm a, I'm a hockey player." And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." 
So yeah, we talked for like 10, 15 minutes and he was telling me about hockey and it was, I, I wish I'd like recorded the conversation. Wow. But, uh, and, and finally my dad like came along and was like, all right, we got to go. And I was like, well, well, thank you, Mr. Gretzky. And you know, I'll, I'll look up the hockey thing. He was like, yeah, yeah, you, know, you might like it. <laughs> yeah, when, when the World Wide Web is invented in about 10 years, I look up all your stats. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, the, the Carolina Hurricanes took away the uh, okay, for Whalers. So that's so right. That's right. When I lived in Connecticut, last story, uh, I, I moved to Connecticut after living in South Carolina my whole life to go to grad school. And oh, yeah. Every, everywhere I went, I said, yeah, I'm from South Carolina. And people were like, you're from the Carolinas, like go to hell. I'm like, wait, what? And, and it, it turns out like people there were so upset that we stole the heart for whalers. And right. Yes. They and became the Carolinas. with those guys in 04. <laughs> right. And it was right around that same time. Yeah. And they were like, ah, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're one of those assholes from South Carolina. I'm like, no, we, we, that's, that's up north. That's Raleigh. We don't, we don't watch hockey. Oh, anyway. There are two Carolinas. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like the Dakotas. We, we should just right. merge, but yeah. That's right. Well, thank you, Matthew. This has been fun. Yeah, you're very welcome, Sam. This All right, so awesome. I, I have to ask one, one last question. What's your favorite, sure. what's your favorite book in the, in the uh, Hebrew Bible or New Testament? Uh, so I'm going to actually have to go with Acts, even though uh, oh, wow. uh, it's, an odd, it's an odd choice, and I realize it got knocked out. Like, you didn't, you didn't allow me to choose apocryphal or non-canonical. Books. I was going to say. And yeah. uh, so, so yeah, you, you, can, I do you like can go for it, apocryphal, uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, Thomas isn't a book. Anyway, so um, I guess I guess the reason that I would uh, that I would I don't know if I would just call it the, the the best. Like, so I think Galatians has like the the very first hymn of uh, in Christ there is no man or it's not it doesn't start off there's no slave or free gentile yep. or, or like that's just like that is wow that's the apex of if if you captured nothing else uh, from Christianity and you had no other baggage you'd be like. You know, what an absolutely wonderful uh, little, um, not phrase, but little... Uh, Galatians, it's like bit of, the, bit the of B-side. Yeah, it's like the B-side of Abbey Road. <laughs> you know, right, like, right. But it's so, it's so, it's like even for a purely secular, you know, perspective, that little hymn there is just completely mm-hmm. perfect. It's, it's like Jesus wept, you know, the, the most perfect phrase in the English language, according to my dad, you know, an, an atheist liter- uh, English literature major. Yeah, that's true. Who, who, and who worked on the railroad for 49 years. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. So, so um, uh, I guess, so I, the, the reason I think I would, I would rate the acts, although James, again, as a guy who has a big social, uh, social streak, I, I do like the, um, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. To paraphrase, I think James five, maybe or. Uh, anyway. see, so, so I, I date James very early. I think there was some direct uh, connection to the actual person of James, right? Oh, in okay, the book well, of James, fantastic. That's yeah, it. yeah. You're a good guy in my book, Sam. Okay, I, re- so, I read uh, a paper on that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with Acts, and uh, I think that, like, uh, I think Acts, and again, this sort of leans a little bit on uh, Trobish, uh, David Trobish. Uh, I think that it accomplishes a task of allowing the Paul and Petrine factions or the Paul slash James factions, if you will, to kind of come together with something uh, in giving basically the same miracles and sort of adventure story to both uh, Peter and Paul in succession. It's kind of a, you know, you good, you guys are good, you guys, guys good, and we can get along. And so even though I don't, um, like, even though it would not, uh, how how would I say it for its value? This is this is like getting to baseball. Like it, it's a hell of a story. Like it's, it's not going to hurt you. It's, yeah, but it's, it's a good story. It's 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 uh, it's it's it it accomplishes so much and it integrates like everything else together. Um, so I would 
I guess I would rate Acts as the uh, the one that I would uh, choose as my most representative, even though there are just some wonderful. Uh, like I, I do think uh, I think as you guys did in your uh, in the tournament that you know Gospel of Mark is just is itself sort of catalytic. It uh, it gives this big sort of booster launch for uh, for Christianity because now you don't have just a collection of sayings, but it orders it into a narrative. It provides it provides um, structure, I guess. So, yeah, uh, I mean, Acts. I, I think Acts is like the most overlooked book in the New Testament because no one really reads it, but everyone thinks they know what Acts is. But when you read, when you read Luke, and then you go straight into Acts, and if you read them as one set, just like First Samuel and Second Samuel, right? It, you come across with a totally different reading of Luke than you would mm-hmm. if it's you just like, read it by itself. Yeah. That's yeah. right. It's like you start off in uh, you start off uh, narrowing in zeroing in on Jerusalem, and then you radiate out into the world yeah, from right. there. Which is and it's it's just this uh, this marvelous um, uh, narrative. It and, and it draws on Greek like mythology. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, a, that's right. Paul is like Hermes, and and I mean, they, like they this... even quote uh, Euripides. I think it is. Uh, it's yeah, like, yeah. He and it's, through, so, hey. so it's just perfect. And and I mean, yeah. Anyway, it's uh, so so. I really uh, so that would be my pick for you know uh, if I was. Super Bowl Sunday, whatever, it'd be like, yeah, Book of Acts. Um, gotcha. Even though I'm sure that, uh, you know, for poetry, it's... It's, it's a second it's, Samuel. It's like but... the Tom Brady, uh, and this will get me in trouble, <laughs> in that it doesn't stand out in any particular dimension, but it is just so uh, so transformative. It, it just pulls everything else together. Maybe I should say Russell Wilson. I'm a bit of a oh, yeah, I'm say maybe, casual yeah, Seahawks Wilson. fan, in that Russell Wilson is kind of the engine behind this apparently mediocre offensive line. <laughs> able to consistently win games in, you know, shouldn't possibly be able to happen manner. Without um, cheating or using deflated balls. That's right, yeah. That's like right, yes, signs. yes. Yeah. Without the, the Bill Belichick uh, <laughs> uh, methods. That's right. Yeah, I know nothing about football, but I know that. I know, I know yes, that Tom Brady right. through deflated football. It's like I used to do when I was a kid. Um, right. Well, cool. Well, that acts. And, and I'm, I'm going to keep you posted on uh, how, how the Bible study goes with acts. And I'm sure, sure we, yeah, we'll be talking do. about I'm, it. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll be uh, pinging on Twitter as well there. Yeah. As I, as I, as I move off my social media fasting. For, uh, <laughs> Start your own. Uh, you have a blog. A reluctant year. Right. I do kind of have a bit of a, I will be doing a, a bit more writing, most of the technical stuff, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping to uh, focus my energies a bit more on some of these other projects like that. Bookification. Thing. You have so much to say. You, you you have an amazing outlook on things. I, I love hearing all of your, I mean, emails and thoughts and tweets and all that stuff. So start a damn personal blog and, and make it happen in 2020 because I think that, that would be fantastic. Super. I'll, I'll try and add that to my commitment to watch more TV so I can try and be semi-culturally hip because... Do you all have Disney Plus in Canada? Uh, we do have Disney Plus. Uh, that that is on the to do list. Actually, that's probably right. a resolution I will get to. I'll send you my uh, login. Go go watch I, the Mandalorian. I see the, uh, I, yeah, I want to see Baby Yoda in. You got to see Baby on Yoda on the big screen. On the big uh, screen. It's fantastic. It's it's um, wonderful. My financial advisor tells me I have to watch uh, Big Bang Theory for one character whom I apparently resemble. <laughs> um, I can't imagine who, who. Whom I remind him of? Yes. But uh, yes, so uh, so yeah, there there's a lot of there's hopefully a lot of TV watching in my future, uh, but hopefully which doesn't get in the way of other uh, other cool stuff. Sounds good, buddy. Well, thank you for cool. coming on. And you're uh, very welcome. Thanks for having me. We're gonna have you back this year. Fantastic. All right. Talk Bye. to you soon, Matthew. Talk soon.